Okay. Genesis 1 to 5. Genesis 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So I'd like to have a look, um, as I said earlier, at what Scripture reveals about this time. And hopefully we will read that passage at the end of this, at the end of this talk today. Uh, we'll read that passage in a different light. Because I think it's absolutely critical that we get the beginnings right. Because my heart for this sermon, my heart for this talk, is that people that are going to college and university to work that are challenged with creation and the beginnings, I, I would love it if you were better prepared to answer these questions from professors, from scientists, from the genius people that you have at work that are sitting next to you, which deny God and will tell you about the Big Bang and tell you the proof and the evidence of science, when there really is none. There really is none. And the scientists in the world that are Christians, that are, are, are confessing their, their belief, believers in God that are confessing this, do not get the money to carry on in their um, scientific experiments and, and in, in their course in life. They're re even removed from college. So that's what's sitting behind this. But I don't want to resort to a long talk about science. What I'd rather do is let scriptures um, speak to us and let God's word talk to us and tell us what's going on. So I'm going to cover a lot of scriptures now. You can follow in your Bible, but it's going to go so fast. I think it might be better to hear because I just want to bring a principle to you to show you what was happening before creation. The first scripture is Daniel 7. Um, and in, in Daniel 7, in verse 14, it says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Now, you might think, because Gil preached on this, uh, a wonderful sermon, which is on the website, by the way, um, uh, if you all um, um, came back at me and said, this isn't before the beginning, then I would encourage you to read 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 10. And here I am going to read the whole scripture out because, um, yeah, it's, it's an important message. Therefore, do, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, what? Before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. My brother's here from Speaker's Corner this morning. The power is in the gospel. The power is not in history and archaeology and knowledge and philosophy. 
The power at Speaker's Corner, what silences people, is the gospel. So that's why I've read that scripture. And that was before time began, before the sun and moon, before creation. 2 Timothy 1 to 9. Um, his own, per, um, it says, it's, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but their share with the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Have I just read that? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here is evidence that we were chosen in God before the world was formed. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is a marvelous scripture to read the whole chapter. If you want to find the Trinity, read the, read the chapter, meditate on it. You'll find amazing things in that, in that scripture. But um, God is asking us through his prophet, who, who has measured the waters um, in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance. Uh, you know, God's questioning creation. Who can do it? Who can make it? His thoughts were before creation on what? So the title of the sermon, which you're going to hopefully answer by the end of this, the reason for creation is, and there's an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. I'm asking you, not now, but at the end of the sermon, please answer that question. The reason and the purpose of creation is... Behold, this is Proverbs 34. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Does anyone know what comes next? What is his son's name? If you know. Again, we've asked this question at Speaker's Corner. All we've done is read the scripture out and we ask people, Jewish people, Muslim people, atheists, I'm still waiting for an answer. This is Proverbs chapter 30, 900, 1,000 years before Christ was incarnate. Revelation 13, verse 8. Um, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. The him here is the beast. So uh, we're not talking about Christ. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So that implies that unbelievers that are worshipping the beast, their names are not written in the book of life, but our names are, before the foundation of the world, and Jesus slain before the foundation of the world. Um, indeed, in 1 Peter 1, um, in verse 20, uh, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Uh, Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles in the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know, the last scripture is John 7, 
17 verse 5, which we all know, And now, Father, glorify me, me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So, as we were listening to those songs, as we were um, worshipping God, um, as I heard these voices pealing, uh, that beautiful sound, the harmonies, all of that, I knew these scriptures were going to be read. And now we're sitting and we're going, this happened before time began. When I was about nine, ten years old, um, I saw some thundercrackers for sale in the shop. And I thought they were called Big Bang Thundercrackers. And I was thinking about these things. I went and got some money. At the age of 10, when you say you, you're getting money, um, it wasn't a, a good way that I got the money. But I got the money, and I went into the shop, and I got these thundercrackers. And um, there's some people smiling, so they know how they got the money. Some, some people know exactly how I got the money. It was in my mother's purse, and I just got it. And I went down and bought these, these thundercrackers. And my thoughts were, as I was running out the shop, I can remember it clearly. It was a corner shop. I was running out, I was laughing. I was laughing because I knew that when I lit my first thundercracker and threw it near my little sister, she would be scared. Yeah. I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so embarrassed about it, much to my shame. And um, a, a, a year later, so the result of that is that my, my thoughts were before my actions. Then, my, um, then my, a year later, my mom took us to see a fireworks display. It was incredible. It was awesome. It was in a place called Wemmerpan in Johannesburg. And um, we just saw the, 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 the heavens lit up with rockets and fireworks and big bangs and everything. The guys that had set up this firework display hadn't taken into consideration that there would be injuries, fires, birds, animals, dogs, cats complaining. And right next door to where the firework display was, they had nighttime fishermen that paid money to go fishing. So it was a disaster. Um, then, jump ahead to the next big bang in, in my life. In, 1940, in 1958, a scientist called James Van Allen, who was a space scientist, announced to the National Assembly in Washington that he had discovered, made a new discovery uh, of mag magnetic belts around the Earth. And these magnetic belts are now called the Van Allen belts. But um, these belts are actually radiation. And um, uh, the, 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 the lines of these belts sort of cover the Earth's surface and come into the Earth. And the day after, his biographer was a chap, I can't remember his first name, his surname was Fleming. But the day after that announcement to the National Assembly in America, the military's thoughts were, as they approached um, Van Allen, the mi military's thoughts were, you know what we want to do? We want to set a bomb off and see if we can disrupt these belts. So here you have a new discovery of magnetic belts around the surface, and you have the military going, hey, let's put an atom bomb in space and see if we can disrupt them. So people don't know what the, the reason was for doing this, but blowing up magnetic belts, the thing was during the Cold War, is let's do it before the Russians do it. 
Maybe we can find a way of sneaking missiles and bombs in using these belts. And at that time, there would have been a lot of bombs being tested, atom bombs. Uh, 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 the bombs that were tested in the, in the desert were leaving a crater a mile wide and 250 foot deep. So it, it just in your imagination, because we're going to come back to this later, just remember the size of that bomb. And now, um, in July 1962, uh, Starfish Prime, uh, which was the code name for the hydrogen bomb, they created um, artificial extensions on these Van Allen belts when they exploded it. And the explosion could be seen from Hawaii to New Zealand. Um, there's never been uh, a fireworks display like that before by, by humans. And even, and even afterwards, uh, we still haven't seen anything of that magnitude. Uh, um, I suppose the, the bomb that landed on Hiroshima uh, could be said to be that big, but it wasn't in the sky. It wasn't on these Van Allen belts, so you couldn't see it for as far as that. And now we're in the middle of the next Big Bang. The Big Bang that scientists are working on now in a place called CERN is the Large Hadron Collider. And the Large Hadron Collider provides collisions between lead iron particles that crash into each other, and when these heavy ions crash into each other, the energies form for an instant something called a quark-gluon plasma, which is a fireball of hot molten lava. Well, it's just a fireball, and they quickly do an experiment on that fireball to see what happened after the Big Bang. So they're not looking at what happened to cause the Big Bang, the experiments and the billions and billions and billions of dollars that have gone through from countries into this experiment in this Large Hadron Collider. The thoughts are what? If we can prove that these particles are the God particle, the Boson Higgs particle, then we can prove evolution. Then we can prove that there is no God. They're not saying that on their website. But what is the motivation? What is the thought behind spending all of these billions of dollars on this experiment to show what happened after, after the Big Bang? You know, we've just read Genesis 1, 1, 2, 5. There's the answer. Give us billions. Give the church billions of dollars. We'll give it to the poor. And, and you don't have to do these experiments on, on the Large Hadron Collider. And this is why, you know, when I said at the beginning, my motivation for wanting to speak on this subject is there's very elementary questions you can ask scientists, professors, teachers, colleagues at work. You can, you can ask your family, which scientists can't answer, and the Large Hadron Collider can't answer, and fireworks displays and bombs with the Van Allen belts can't answer these questions. How can something come from nothing? I don't know if anyone here has ever got an answer to that, but no scientist or any atheist that I've ever spoken to can answer that question. What intense power created the beginning of all things in the primordial vacuum? If the universe is the result of fundamental laws of physics, were these laws in place when there was nothing? So you've got to get particles coming from this dimension through quantum tunneling into this dimension. There was nothing intelligent there. There was nothing to design and direct They've got these, these, what's it called? Quantum, quantum, um, 
quantum tunneling, you have one atom here and it suddenly goes there. We have the answer for that. We'll come to that now. We have the answer for that. We know how it happened. Scientists don't know how it happened, but they can't do one scientific experiment using the scientific method to prove how it happened because they can't make something from nothing. And I mean, those particles have to arrive into gravity. I don't even know. I don't even know what gravity is. Scientists still, you know, there's a theory of gravity, but it's still difficult to explain because you've got dark matter, you've got 76% of the universe that is made up of this dark matter. People are, <laughs> are trying to find what it is. And that's why there's a lot of scientists that are scared of what's happening in the Large Hadron Collider. Stephen Hawking, before he died, said, please, stop this. Because if these particles um, come together, we don't know what the dark matter is that might come out of them. They call the, the, they, they've called it strangelets. It's a made-up word for what might happen. CERN are going, don't panic, don't worry. What's the worst that could happen? The, 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 the military that blew up the Van Allen belts and set an atom bomb off in space, don't worry, nothing will happen, it'll be fine. Then we've got Herbert Spence. Herbert Spence was an evolutionist. In, um, in, uh, uh, he died in 1903, and uh, he was, uh, never accepted the scriptures. He didn't accept Psalm 33, 6, which says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 115, verse 16, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is given to the children of men. So, here then is the backstory for what happened in the Bible for before creation. You've got the Father's thoughts spoken by the Word, by Jesus, and ordered by the Holy Spirit because the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. We've got the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1. Elohim is a plural. We've got the Spirit of God. We've got the Word of God, and we've got the Father. We've got His thoughts, we've got the Word of God, and the Spirit of God putting them in place. God's thoughts are spoken by the Word, creating what is natural by supernatural means. Um, I'm so sorry. I think, because I didn't tell you what Herbert Spence... I didn't... Did I say what Herbert Spence said? Um, his theory? Sorry, I've, I've missed the card. So Herbert Spence um, said that there must be five categories in place for creation to take place. Those five categories are time, force, motion, space, matter. Time, force, motion, space, matter. He said that without reading Genesis 1 or Psalm 33, Time, in the beginning. Force, God. Motion, created. Space, the heavens. Matter, the earth. Um, I've heard other, uh, other commentaries and other people discussing this, and they say that um, time, space, and matter are the trinity of trinities. So you've got time, past, present, future. Space, length, breadth, height. Matter, Solid liquid gas. So, if you if you look at the the first the first sentence in the Bible, it comports with what scientists are discovering, 
but God doesn't need them to, to, um, uh, to apply the veracity of his word. His word is true. His word is holy. His word is righteous. So that's why I wanted to read those scriptures. So the word actualizes what the Father was thinking. All those, all those things created by the word, by Jesus, the Godhead, all those words created, all the things that were created, even gravity, even matter, time, waters, the order of the stars, the cosmic laws, the stars, the planets, the light, because we're going to come to the light now. The heavens and the earth were brought into existence by the word of God, the Holy Spirit, um, mentioned twice in Genesis. Uh, we're in Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and then in Genesis 16, 6, 6, 6 verse 3, God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Um, and it goes on to say, because he is also flesh. That word strive is plead the cause. So elsewhere in the Bible, that word is like an eagle brooding over chicks. So the Holy Spirit is brooding over the waters, doing what? He's putting the characteristics in place that is needed for man. So the spirit brooding over the waters is detailing exactly what the characteristics of creation must be, knowing full well that he's going to be striving with man. The spirit is warning, drawing, convincing people of their wickedness and the need of salvation. He's been doing it right from the beginning so that we would turn away from our ways. So this is absolutely critical to Genesis chapter 1 because what we see are patterns. There are patterns. There's a seven-day week. There's uh, six days of creation and a day of rest. Um, and um, the word of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord, if you look through scriptures, right from Genesis to Revelation, you will see time and time again the word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord all coming into um, the, the um, carrying out the work and the plan of the Godhead. Throughout Scripture, there's patterns. Bara, the Jewish word for creation, I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing it properly, was made, Asa, out of nothing by our God. The whole universe alone was made by God alone. No partners. We see the Almighty Father, the Almighty Word, and the Almighty Spirit are Echad, they are one in the creation process. And then Jesus said, let there be light. So Lord, please shed some light on the subject because the Holy Spirit is brooding over the face of the deep in darkness. Um, that's chaos. The waters are chaos. They're in turmoil. They're, there's no order over there. The Holy Spirit is brooding over those waters, bringing order into the waters for the next step that's coming. And that next step, as we say, was light. Um, uh, if Piero and Vanessa were here, I could do the translation for Let There Be Light. Um, just like that. That's my Italian for God speaking the word. And just like that, you have light. Now, there's a lot of theories and debates and commentaries. There's a lot of arguments. In some churches and with some Christians, I've seen schisms forming um, about creation, whether it's young earth or old earth, and when the sun and the moon were created. And the science and the complexity behind this is, is quite overwhelming because even in the 
the, the, the Jewish scriptures in the Midrash and these things, there, 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 are, there are some rabbis that have pointed towards an earth being in existence before creation. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to look at that today because we're, we're, we're people of the word of God. We're people of faith. We're people that trust in God's word. And in his word, uh, I've noticed a continuity like um, no, other, no other book that, um, that I've ever read. Um, so we trust God and we, we start to recognize his patterns. And that's one thing about a pattern. You can do a pattern in front of your children and they will see the anomaly. They will see something different in that pattern. But the patterns that God puts in place, the patterns that he gives us to live by, are always inerrant. They're always true. They're always purposeful. So um, there are going to be people that are going to scoff and mock you for believing that creation could have happened over six days. But God, God did it. And um, as far as I can see, the Hebrew words for creation... Uh, a day means um, 12 hours or 24 hours. It does not mean in Hebrew, and, and Gil is nodding his head, it does not mean in Hebrew um, an age. It means a 24-hour period or 12-hour period. Um, when you have numerical adjectives like we do in Genesis 1, in Hebrew, uh, it always refers to a 24-hour period. So now you've got a cycle of light and dark, in Genesis 1, now you're at your first day in university, and the professor says, ah, so you've got light and dark, but the sun only arrives on day 4. Um, yeah, okay. Such a cycle of light and dark, all it means is the earth was rotating in a 24-hour period. And our God, um, our God lit up the universe. When he said, let there be light, he lit up the universe. So the sun was not yet created, but that doesn't stop a day happening. How can this be? Okay. Has anyone heard of the New Horizons spacecraft? The New Horizons spacecraft at this moment is in deep space. It can allegedly see billions of miles away. And the, one of the lead scientists that is, is in, in charge of the project of, of trying to find what there is in deep space has um, made this comment on his website. He announces the following. This is about light, by the way. Stars, galaxies, supernova, it's nothing. Not even a drop in the bucket. I mean by far, and I mean by far, the brightest thing in the universe, the source of almost all the photons in the sky, is much older than anything I've ever listed before. In fact, it's the oldest light there is. It's called cosmic microwave background. The CMB, it's cosmic because it comes from space. This is still him speaking, not me. It's microwave radiation and it's behind everything else. And yes, it's brighter than anything you've ever seen. The light floats, the light floods every cubic centimeter of the cosmos, including the Earth. If you had microwave eyes, you would be able to see a sort of uniform haze of light coming from every direction in the sky. So, there you have it. God can see microwave light. When God says, let there be light, there is light. There is light in the universe. We don't need the sun. God doesn't need the sun. We'll talk about the energy of the sun just now. Job, 30, Job 37, 14 to 15. Listen to this, O Job. 
Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? I wish we could go through all the scriptures of God and light. Um, I wish we had time for that. But even in the next chapter, he says, um, Have you commanded the morning stars since your days began and caused them to cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Um, God can cause a dawn without, without the sun. And then God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Good, the pattern of God. God sees it, and he knows it's good. But who is it good for? Who is that light good for? It's good for us. It's good for us. God's in a cloud of light. His light is probably much more magnificent than the light that, that um, he's created in the universe. But he's seen it's good, and he knows it's good for us. Think about this pattern emerging in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When God divides the light from the darkness in day one of creation, there was now a pattern of continuous division. Think about it. He divided the tribes up. He divided the nations up. He divided sin up. He divided the chaff from the corn, the, the wheat. He divided the waters so that we could walk through them. He divided the waters from the earth. And in the end times, he's going to divide up those that are saved and those that are not saved. The heart of mankind is looking into darkness. That kid that went to go and buy a firecracker, that scientist that said, yes, let's put a bomb in space. Our hearts are not set on anywhere near what God's creation is. God's creation is for us, and it's good. Our creation... Our creation. The energy of God. I was speaking to my sister this morning. She was speaking about energy. She was telling me sometimes you just so, so can't do anything. And then you pray. And then the Holy Spirit gives you energy. The energy of God, the energy behind Genesis 1, is magnificent. What word could I put in place that is a gazillion times bigger and better than magnificent. But the energy behind creation, think about it. You want to have a cup of tea, you go and switch the kettle on, and energy comes from the plug and your kettle boils. But what's behind that switch? The whole of the national grid. For... for fossil fuels and all of these things to, to be burning so that you can have a cup of tea. Um, you've, got, you've got coal mines and all of these things in place. Um, and so the, the infusion of these particles in creation that came through that quantum tunnel from the word of Jesus' lips into being, that infusion that had to take place has to have intelligence. That energy cannot do anything by itself. It's got, to have, it's got to have information coming into it to say, this particle, meet up with this particle. 
What we've seen from, from Scripture is that God exists eternally and every sequence in creation is from Him. So let's try to get an idea of the energy that God designs for us, creates for us, and sustains and maintains us. We've got some people here, some young people. I'm going to ask the young people on this side. My wife is very young, but I'm going to ask the other young people on this side. That bomb, Starfish Prime, that exploded. And I need an answer, so you need to listen to this question carefully, okay? That bomb that exploded. The energy of the sun in one second is equivalent to how many of those bombs? So how many bombs would have to explode at one time to be equivalent of the energy that is coming from the sun in one second? Nathan, you're first. A number, any number. You're talking about an atom atomic or a hydrogen bomb that can be seen right across the southern hemisphere on those Van Allen belts. How many do you think are the equivalent, and you get prepared, Brielle, don't think you're getting out of this. How many do you think need to go off for one second of the sun's energy? Four million. Four, four million. That's a good number. Okay. Higher. Ten million. Brielle. Anyone? 10 billion? Whoa, 10 billion hydrogen bombs for one second of the sun. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 10 to 15 billion bombs going off in one second are the equivalent. Don't, don't do that because then she's going to start thinking, I got it all right. <laughs> 10 to 15 billion bombs going off in one second are the equivalent of the energy coming out of the sun. Gravity implosion. The sun is set to last for another 50 billion years, scientists say. What does God say? Let's multiply those 10 billion bombs. Quickly do it in your head, Grace. You don't need a calculator. Let's multiply those 10 billion bombs by 60 seconds to get a minute of sun's energy, and let, let's multiply it by 60 again to get an hour, and then let's multiply it by 24 to get a day. You know what? It's 10 to the power of 144, and maybe, I don't know, what else? I can't, I can't cal calculate it. There's not even a number, there's not even a, 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 a number that you can say is going to go in that. It's just infinite, really. It's not infinite, but it is. Um, so, I don't know how scientists with our puny minds and our puny hearts can think that they can say there's no God. I don't know how uh, it's going to be for you on your first day of college or your first day of work or First time meeting your, your new partner when they go, they drop the bombshell and they say, I don't believe in God. Uh, it's very difficult because we don't know science. But what we do know, we know God. And we can ask people questions that they can't answer. And you know, I'll tell you something here. I haven't got any education, nothing. 
And uh, my brother and other brothers came down to um, our place in Windsor this week, and we sat around the table. We've got a doctor, we've got a software engineer, we've got all these people, and uh, we all love Jesus, and we all love evangelizing. And we, uh, I see these brothers on the streets, I see my brother here at Speaker's Corner every week faithfully uh, preaching the Word of God. None of them are scientists, none of them are genius, none of them have knowledge, but they all love the, God's Word, and they can all defend the Gospel and defend our belief in six-day creation, in the Word of God, because we, we're in the Word. So what does God give us? Okay, so you all know that I've got a bladder behind my eyes and I cry very easily. And this far, I've managed not to cry. But I can't guarantee, as we go on from here, that I'm going to do it. What does God give us? Every week we share, in this church, we share what has God done for us this week. What has God given us this week? So the first thing he gives us is the earth, the heavens, Darkness, clouds, grass, seeds, trees. All of this is in place for us. Fish, meat, energy, sun. And he gives it to us in such a way that it maintains itself and it replicates. He gives us more. He creates us in his image. Yeah, this is where I struggle to hold on to it because I can't understand how we can kill each other and murder each other, how we can take a baby from the womb and, and how we can do this because we're created in the image of God. And even though we do those things, He still gives us more. He gives us the ability to create and even, and even create life, and, but create songs, create uh, music, create all these things. And we have that ability to, to be like our Creator. Abortion, war, murder, poison. We make bombs. We scare our little sisters with crackers. We destroy life. He still gives us more. When we are in sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? God went, sacrificed an animal. He got the skins and he covered up Adam and Eve. He covered up their shame. But he doesn't stop there. <laughs> he gives us more. He gives us prophecy. He gives us uh, the word. He gives us the law. He gives us scripture to, to guide us, to get him, to get us to the place where we can come back to him, where we can come back to his, his presence. This is all a pattern. This is all a pattern in Scripture. Uh, the patterns of the Trinity in Scripture. Uh, all these tabs in my Bible here, all those tabs on the top are Trinitarian Scriptures in the Old Testament, and all these down the side are, are Trinitarian Scriptures in the New Testament. Um, anyone can do that. You can do it for any of God's patterns. You can do it for the law, for salvation. You can do it for anything. So he's given us all of this. He's given us the Bible. But then what more can he give us? What more does he have to give us once we've got all of that? He gives us what costs more than anything. He gives us more than that number of bombs, um, the number that we can't achieve. Well, there's no price that we can set on what he gives us. 
because he gives us himself. He gives us part of the Godhead. And it's not finished. It's not finished that he's given us his son that we read about in Proverbs, his son that created the world. It's not finished. And because Jesus here is the word of God, spoke creation into being, the arm of the Lord, the branch of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one God of Israel, hung on a cross, paying the price to restore us to his kingdom. And then he carries on giving. What does he give us now? What does it say in John 7, 37? I will give you living waters. What are living waters? The Holy Spirit. So as I look around, as I was speaking to my sister earlier, and I could see her full of the Holy Spirit, I could see her heart for the others, heart for other people. I see it in everyone here. I've never met anyone in this church that uh, I don't think is full of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we must read and meditate on this word, brothers and sisters. Um, I, I know I'm getting emotional. I know that reading these scriptures is, is, has got me emotional. But you know what I hate seeing more than anything in the church? I hate seeing people going to school and college and joining a group of friends, and then you don't see them again. And this creation that we have, we have to get this right. We have to get it right for our children. We have to get it right for our parents. Because it's not pie in the sky, supernatural activity, miracles. It is God. It's the power of God. And the scriptures testify to this. So the blessed Holy Spirit abides in us, and we abide in him. And now, if God is lighting you up, not, I'm not saying my sermon, what I'm talking about when I say God is lighting you up, but in your life, as, as Caroline said earlier, God is lighting you up. He's giving you energy. Is, is giving you a zeal, giving you a vigor. Uh, Sir Abjet a few weeks ago came to church and just said, wow, man, the word of God is really, <laughs> it's really getting to me. I go with Tiago, we go to Speaker's Corner, and on the way there, we're just, we're just discussing the things of God. Every time I get together with Sai, uh, he, he, he inspires me, fills me, because this is God lighting us up. Lighting us up for what? What exactly is he lighting us up for? You know, the talk today is about our thoughts. Our thought transcends everything. If I can say that axiom, and, and have you all agree with me, because I, if someone can think of something that you do, that thought doesn't come first, even like a reaction to a ball coming towards your head, you might say, it's, I just, no, you thought about it. There was a signal in your brain that passed the message onto your hand. Thought transcends everything. God's thoughts were on us before creation. Jesus says, you must, Paul says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. And uh, look what he creates and look what we create. If we abide in the Holy Spirit... We can think, speak, and minister life to those that know only darkness. We can divide their lives. God gives us that ability to divide their lives. Divide and conquer. Divide, we'll come to that now. If we divide our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, and we move away from the chaotic deep waters, we move away from the darkness, then we can create 
what can we create? What can you create when you go to university? What can you create when you go to speaker's corner? What can you create when you go to work? What can you create that is, is God-given? I would say the gospel message. I would say hospitality. I would say that you can create life. You can give life to someone. You know, there's, there's a story about someone that was going to commit suicide and they had all their books at college. They're going down the stairs, tripped and fell, books fell all over the place. The bullies got in, you know how you do, you throw five thundercrackers at your little sister. Well, the guy that, the nerd at university that trips over and falls on the stairs, you also just push him down further on the ground because, because you're clever, you're a genius. And one guy, one big guy, picked the guy up, helped him with his books, took him home, gave him a cup of tea. And six, seven years later, when he came to uh, graduate at university, uh, by then he was no longer a nerd. By then he was a big guy in the, the rugby team. South Africa won the rugby yesterday, by the way, at one point. He was in the, in the rugby team, and he makes a little speech. And he goes, um, yeah, uh, I, five years ago I was walking down some stairs at college, and his friend's sitting there, just marveling how good-looking this guy is and how he's come to graduate. What's it? Victor come, Lord? And the Latin is graduate with honors. Um, and this, this guy's um, sitting there making a speech, and the whole university is listening, and all the girls are staring at him, and all the guys are envious because he's, he's now a big guy, and he's, got this, he's clever. And he says, hey, when I was walking down the stairs and I had my books and I tripped over, I was on my way home to commit suicide. But someone came in and spoke words of life into me, and here we are. His friend was shocked, sitting at the back. That's what we can create. How do we move? Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and operative and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to dividing the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God is able to discern your thoughts and your, attention, uh, the, uh, your um, intentions in your heart. And if we get that right, if we get our thoughts and our intentions right, like God got it right perfectly, we're never going to be perfect like God, but if we can get our thoughts on God, then our intentions and what we move, like the Holy Spirit moved over the waters, we move, we can give life. And there's no, there's no creature that is not manifest before him, but all things are naked and laid bare to the eyes of him who we have to give account. That word in Hebrews, that word in verse 12 is logos. And logos is the word of God. And not only does the word speak into creation, but the word also judges. The word also is going to stand in front of us one day. And we have to give account. God's word is living, and if we read and meditate on it, it creates our thoughts. It moves us to obedience and gives. Um, it can inspire us to do good works, and it divides us from sin. So that's it for today. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. God's creation is for us. 
we, we have our thoughts, we move, and we energize ourselves, and we divide. We have to, right now, I believe that we are very close to the end times. I believe that what's happening in the world is proof that we are. Every minute, we are closer <laughs> to, to the, the last days. I really, um, I really encourage us all uh, to divide ourselves from sin and to move and energize ourselves to sharing the gospel as often as possible, as much as possible in any way we can. Please, let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll close and go and have coffee. Lord, we pray that you will create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and that you will renew a right spirit within us. Please, Lord, don't move away from us. Restore us, please, Lord. Restore us, Lord, to the joy of your salvation. Divide our hearts and thoughts from sin, Lord. Move us, Lord, to teach sinners your ways, that they will be converted to you. Move us to share, Lord, your gospel, please. Give us, please, Lord, the energy to light up this world with your gospel. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.